Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel according to St. Luke. I'm going to be in the second chapter. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture before I pray uh, in Luke 2.49. If you don't have your Bible, these verses should be on the screen. In Luke 2.49, the Bible says, But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, It's Time to Get Serious About God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who's here today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my mouth and my mind, strengthen my body to say the things that you would have me to say. God, I pray that you'd be our teacher today by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us show us what you would have us to know from your word in jesus name amen we've been talking all year about this theme this 2021 theme of it's time and it is time the bible even goes so far as to say it's time and it's past time it's time for us to get serious about God, and I, I wish that we had the time and the honesty just to go around the room and just let everybody just start. I start with Deacon West and work all the way to Terry in the back and just let you give yourself a score. How are you doing on your seriousness with God? Uh, are, are you really being serious? Are you, are you, do, do you live right, give right, serve right, worship right? Are you serious about putting God first? Where are you in this? Because here's the reality. The devil can't stop us from getting to heaven, but he can stumble us on our way. He can't halt us from our eternal destiny, but he can hinder us from walking in the manifestation of that from day to day. And until we get serious about putting God first, we are not going to walk in the abundance that God has for us. So I want you to be thinking about, listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Get serious about your relationship with God. Get serious about your worship. Get serious about your prayer. Get serious about your personal time alone with God. Get serious about the gift that God has put inside you, even if it's just to smile at people. We need more people smiling and, and, and being nice. Well, I tell you what, if Christians would get nice, change the world. It cha- Gandhi is, is famous for having said it, but he's not the only one that feels that way. He said, I have no problem with your Christ. It's your Christians that trouble me. Uh, amen. I mean, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch to that. Because everybody in this room knows, knows a Christian or 50 or 50,000 that just mean is the devil. Just hypocritical. Just Listen, the Bible says everyone is a hypocrite. All of us have some hypocrisy in our life. Stop being blown back because you found out somebody was, was a hypocrite. The Bi- listen, I'll say it again. The Bible says everyone 
is a hypocrite. All of us aspire to It just blows me back. And I get it. And people love to rant. Well, I'm just waiting on America to live up to its greatest ideals from its foundation. No, I'm waiting on you to live up to your greatest ideals from your foundation. Everybody falls short, the Bible says. None of us are doing all that we should, but all of us should be doing more than we are. Mm, I'm preaching better than y'all are staring at me. Uh, I want us to get serious about saying that we love God. Our our church, uh, some of the foundational concepts of our church are based on loving God and loving people. I want us to get serious about about that. Listen, it's easy to get caught up. I told the staff this morning, we've all got our own personal trauma and our own personal drama, but we still got to serve God. We've all got our own personal trauma and we've all got our own personal drama, but we still have to obey what God said and he said put him first. And we need to get serious about it. I've talked to you a lot. We're a Bible teaching church at Abundant Life. So many people want to know, well, what kind of church is Abundant Life? I tell them we're a Christian church. That ain't enough for them. They need more. And listen, when people are trying to define you, it's only for the purpose of canceling you. When people want to know what denomination you are, when people want to start getting into what, what type, what do you believe about this, that, and the other thing, it's not so they can rejoice in your commonality, it's so they can say, oh, I knew I didn't want to go over there. So when I tell people we're a Christian church, you're like, well, what kind of Christian church? What denomination? We, we don't have a denomination. We follow Jesus and the Bible. Oh, so you're non-denominational. We used to say we were non-denominational until I realized non-denominational churches have become a denomination of non-denominational churches. And they all kind of fall, fall in the same flow. And we don't fall in that flow with them. Let me, let me tell you, I was born a Roman Catholic. I wore a little uh, St. Christopher medal around my neck as, as a child. Went to a Catholic church. My parents got divorced. And back then, in, in, in the late 60s, if you were in the Catholic church and you got divorced, they didn't care who was innocent, who was guilty. They didn't care if one person was good and bad. They just kicked everybody out, even the children. And so we did what all Catholics had to do that wanted to keep going to church. We became Baptists. And we started going to a Baptist church. And then we, we did what a lot of Baptists do. We just fell out altogether and stopped going to church, period. And then we all realized we were lost and needed salvation, and we found salvation. And I started going to a Baptist church again because that's the last t- type of church I was in. And then I realized there's got to be more than just sitting in church staring at the preacher for an hour a week. And so I thought, I'm going to get involved in the charismatic church because they got excitement. I got involved in a charismatic church, and then uh, uh, once I realized the preacher don't even preach half the time. We're not learning anything in here. Nobody in the church could quote three verses of Scripture, and nobody in church had ever led anybody to Christ or thought about living holy. And every time it was time for the Word of God to be taught, which it's, listen, if you want to sing late in the midnight hour, God's going to work in your favor. Listen, it ain't going to be songs that God carries you through with. It's going to be the Word of God. Jesus said that this is food for your inner person. And when I realized that, Literally, in the church we were in, and the church was over-the-top charismatic. I mean, we, we had Rodney Howard Brown coming in. We, we had Richard Roberts coming in, constantly Benny Hinn coming in, 
all the time. And three out of four Sundays a month, the pastor would, would say, the spirit's too high. Just, just go anyway. And everybody just run around and act crazy. And we go home and we're like, well, it was exciting and, and, and energetic, but did we learn anything? The Bible says what all you're getting, get understanding. So I, I got to thinking about it. When God called me to start this church, I thought, well, I don't want us to be a Catholic church. I don't want us to be a Baptist church. I don't want us to be a charismatic church. I, uh, I, I love John Wesley and his methodology of studying the Bible, but I didn't want to be a Wesleyan church or a Methodist church. Um, and so I, I realized then that, no one church has it all right. They all think they do. And if a church tells you that they think that they don't believe in us for no more, they probably do. If they're involved in a denomination at all, the reason they're in that denomination is because they think they're right and everybody else is wrong. And so I realized, listen, there's, there's no one church that's got it all right. But for the most part, uh, I don't believe there's any one Christian church that's got it all wrong. So we chew the meat and spit out the bone. Because if it wasn't for the Catholic Church, we wouldn't know any history about the people of God or the ways of God because they kept it written down. If, if it wasn't for the Baptist Church and, and St. Augustine and African for all races, I just love to point that out, that all Western civilized theology was brought to us by this man, St. Augustine, whom America's oldest city is named after. This man came from Africa. So tell your militant black people the next time they tell you you shouldn't be involved in the blue-eyed devil's religion, let them know that it wasn't the slave master that taught people to love Jesus in Western civilization. It was St. Augustine, the African. Mm, nobody wants to say amen because y'all worried he's going to get on race again. Listen, uh, uh, we, we, we owe all of our theology that we have as, as proper Christians and Orthodox theologians uh, to what God did through this man, St. Augustine, who was the preserver of truth for uh, the entire church world in his time. So we, 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 we incorporate all the good. I love, I told you, I love what the Wesleyan church does, what the Methodist church does. They're serious about studying the Bible. I love what the Baptists do because they'll go out and witness to anybody. They'll knock on doors and pass out tracks, leave tracks in bathrooms. Listen, please, if you're going to do that old Baptist trick, and we used to do this because they taught us to. I'm ashamed of it now. Go in a bathroom in a restaurant, unroll the whole roll of toilet paper, put a track, roll it back, put a track, roll it back, put a track. I don't, hey, don't do that where I go to the bathroom. I ain't trying to pull a whole roll of toilet paper and have 30 tracks sprinkle out on me. But the Baptist man, they, they will knock on doors. Uh, I, I, I love the fact that they believe in evangelism. I, I love the fact that the charismatic church understands that God didn't just want to save our heads. He said all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love the fact that the charismatic church taught uh, Western Christians how to have an intimate expression and a dynamic expression of praise and worship. So we, we kind of... I say all that to say we're not so much a non-denominational church 
at Abundant Life as we are a multi-denominational church. We got people in this church right now that came out of, out of Catholic churches, Episcopal churches, Presbyterian churches, Church of God, Assembly of God, Church of God in Christ, Church of God in Christ on Sunday morning by the river in Jesus' name, incorporated for all people. That church is on Lim Turner, by the way. If you hadn't been there, you can get your shout on. Word to the wise, to my uh, melanin-challenged folk. Uh, the sign says for all people. <laughs> but if you go in there, and, and, and you will be the one piece of salt in that whole room, for sure. Uh, ask me how I know, because I've been there. Um, but... More than all of that, more than being a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we are all Jesus, and we are a Bible-teaching church, and I want us to look to the Word of God today and learn some things. I already told you, the Scripture says, with all you're getting, get understanding, and we need to pay attention to this Word of God. As a Bible-teaching church, I've taught you a lot of hermeneutical principles. Hermeneutics is the art and science of properly interpreting things that have been written down specifically the Bible, and I talk to you about different laws, principles that help you understand the Scripture. Uh, listen, listen to how smart the people sitting around you are when it comes to the Bible. Here's a couple of things to help you, because I know that as Christians, we should read our Bible every day. Can you say amen? We should read our Bible every day. Jesus talked to God every day. Jesus actually went to church every day. We should, be, we should always be serving God, and sometimes... If you read the Bible, how many of y'all know you can read it and it just go over your head and you're like, I don't even know what I read, but at least I read it. Y'all don't want to be honest this morning. So I, I've taught you to slow down your reading. I've taught you to pay attention to the punctuation when you read. Pause on a comma and think about it, consider it. I, I've taught you some biblical principles uh, uh, to how you can read the Bible and get it on the inside and not just have it brush off you and go over your head. Uh, listen to how smart some of the people in the room are. When, when the Bible says we and us, it's usually talking to what type of person? When it says they and them, it's usually talking to what type of person? Okay, these are just some principles, some guidelines. It's not always, but it's more times than not. One of the principles, one of the laws of interpretation that I've taught you is the law of first mentioned. And if this was Wednesday night, which is an open discussion interactive study time of the word of God together that you're invited to I'd go ahead and let people tell us but instead of doing that I put it in my notes and I want to get it on the screen so you can see what the law of first mention basically is I just took a random definition this isn't my definition I copied and pasted this the very the law of first mention teaches the very first time any important word is mentioned in the Bible scripture gives us that word its most complete and accurate meaning to not only serve as a key in understanding the word's biblical concept, but also to provide a foundation for its fuller development in later parts of the Bible. What am I saying? If you want to study grace, go to the first time in the Bible where grace was talked about. If you want to study covenant, go to the first time in the Bible where covenant was talked about. If you want, listen, and you need to learn how to study topics. You need to learn how to study topics that you are interested in, and you need to learn how to study topics that you are deficient in. If you want to know more about giving so you can start being a better giver, you ought to study what the Bible says about giving. If you know you're lazy and you don't like to 
uh, be actively involved in serving God, you need to study what the Bible says about lazy. If you know you're a hoe, you ought to study what the Bible says about hoeing. I can't get nobody to smile this morning. What this is saying is go to the first place the Bible talks about it because there is a theological principle that says the first time God talks about it, it sets the pattern for what he intends it to be. And everything we learn after that is built on that foundation. And let, let, me, let me just throw this at you. Now, if I'd have asked you this before I'd have read the scripture, nobody would have had the right answer. I just gave you the answer if you're listening. Anybody have any idea where we can find the first time Jesus said anything that was recorded in the Bible? What was the first thing Jesus ever said that was recorded? Anybody think that would be uh, worth knowing? So you need to learn something this morning. We come to church to learn about God. We come to church to learn about God from His written Word. The Bible tells us for itself that in Former times, God spoke to us through prophets and apostles. But in these last days, God has given us the words of his son to teach us. And we come to learn from his word. And if we want to really be Christians, a Christian is someone who follows the teaching and the disciplines and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Well, if we want to follow what he taught, we need to know what he says. Is that right? And if we want to understand proper theology, we have to pay attention to the law first mentioned. So we have to go to where the first time the Bible records anything that Jesus said. And we find that in the opening scripture that I read to you. Put Luke 2.49 back on the screen for me. Jesus says, why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house. This is the first thing Jesus ever said out of his mouth that was written down in the Bible. Anybody think it's important? It's important whether it was the first thing or the last thing because it's in the Bible. But in keeping with the law first mentioned, I want you to understand these are the first recorded words in the Bible spoken out of the mouth of the Lord. I want to back up from verse 49 a little bit, set some context, and do some teaching this morning. In Luke 2, 41... Get this story that's being told here. The Bible says we have these stories for our examples so that we can learn from them. We can learn more about God as we read the Bible. We can learn more about how God deals with humans, how humans deal with God, how God deals with his creation, and, and how we can be closer to God. And that's the goal, to have a close, intimate, personal, dynamic relationship with Jesus that will not only get you in heaven someday, but will give you strength for your journey right now. In verse 41... As we start this passage of teaching, the Bible says every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, somebody with reading comprehension, tell me how often did Jesus' family go to Jerusalem for the Passover festival? Every year. This was required by law. There were three festivals they had to show up for every year, and this was one of them. They had to go to this festival. It says in the next verse, verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So we see how old Jesus is. How old is Jesus in, right, when they went this time? He's 12 years old. Somebody tell me what the Bible tells us from the time Jesus was 
eight days old and circumcised in, in the temple and, and had two different people pray for him, one a man and one a woman, up until he's 12 years old. What, what, somebody give me one of the details that the Bible tells us about Jesus from, from his first year to his 12th year. Other than that. You're racking your brain for information we don't have. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us any. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about the life of Jesus from his circumcision all the way up until he's 12 years old. Other than the fact it says that the child grew in wisdom and in stature. He got bigger and he got wiser, but it doesn't give us any detail until he's 12 years old. Now, Luke is the book of the month. Every month I give you, uh, I let you know the book I'm reading through and encourage you to read through it with me. Sometimes these are short books that we can read through multiple times in a month. Sometimes these are longer books. Now, there's a couple of really long books in the New Testament. Anybody know what the longest book in the New Testament is? In the New Testament. This answer should be obvious to y'all. I mean, what book are we talking about? Say Luke. He, I, said, I, still, I said that, people still said Matthew. That's, that's more chapters in Matthew than in Luke, but more words. Now, you, you, you vote, you, you, your choice should have been either Matthew, the first book, or the last book, which is what? Revelation. No S in that word. The book of the Revelation, because that's a lot of words in those two books. But Luke's got more. It's, it's the longest book in the New Testament, and it's full of information. And I've told you as we went into studying this book this month that Luke is unique because it was written by a Gentile. Thirty-nine men were chosen by God to be inspired to write down his word. When people say, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote such and such a book? God wrote it. God Gave it to men to write down. God was the author. Human beings were the pen. Men did not write the Bible. If I, if I told uh, Elder Jimmy right now, take, take, out, take, take that pen in your hand and write this stuff down. If he had a pen, write this down. It would be my words, his penmanship. Are you following me? The Bible is God's word, but he used 39 different men to write it down. Luke's the only one of the 39 that wasn't a Jew. Luke's a different kind of dude. Um, Luke was not one of the 12 uh, original disciples of the Lord, but Luke was a firsthand witness to the life of Jesus Christ, and God inspired him to write two books in the Bible that are really a, uh, theologians look at them as a two-volume set of one writing, uh, Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke, a little different perspective than the Jews had. He also, he wasn't a fisherman. He wasn't a farmer uh, for his whole life. He wasn't involved in the, the trades that most people in that time were involved in. Luke was what as a, as a businessman? He was a doctor. He was a physician. So he was more detailed than most people. He, and his gospel has more details in it than any of the other gospels. That's why it's so long. And he tells us more about the life of Jesus than any of the other three Gospels. Uh, the birth, he tells us more about the birth of Jesus. Uh, he tells us 
uh, more about what's going on with Mary. Um, and the only one to record the Magnificent. If you're a good Catholic, you know what that is. If you don't know what it is, you, sh you should because it's in the Bible. But this is the only person that records this event in Jesus' life. The other Gospels pick up in the ministry of Christ as an adult. God took the Gospel of Luke to give us this glimpse into the life of Jesus, and this is our first glimpse into him since his circumcision. And these are the first words that he ever says. So here, here's one thing to note before I jump back into the Scripture, just a little side note. It was customary that by the age of 12, every male child would begin to work in their father's trade. Now, we don't have that going on that much. I mean, you, you wanted one of your kids to, to be in the fence business. They all found something else to do. But in Bible times, kids, male children, just did whatever the dad did typically. If your dad was a fisherman, you became a fisherman. There's still families that do that. Um, the, the, the man we call Papa, Gail's dad, had one job his whole life. He worked for the local um, plumbers and pipe fitters union. You can see it, the local 234, right off I-10 um, near Lane Avenue. He was in the plumbers union his whole life, and there were about 30 people in his family in that plumbers union. We see it. I, I think it's more prevalent. Uh, Y'all can check with Hugo and Stacy to find out. Uh, I think it's more prevalent up north where police, if, if you got one police person, they, they got a lot of related police people, Hugo, in Jacksonville like they do up in Boston. And, you know, every, every, you get one family in, they all get in. Well, that's, that, that was very prevalent in Bible times. And it was required by Jewish custom because at 13, the boy was considered a full member as a child of the commandment. And he took full adult rights at 13. So it was customary by 12 that that child already be trained in the trade of his father because he had to have a job. And we know that Jesus' earthly father was named what? And Joseph was a what? And Jesus had as his trade up until he went into public Christian ministry what? So Jesus was already trained as a carpenter by the age of 12 because his natural father was a carpenter and Joseph and Mary kept all of the Jewish customs. That's why they made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. And this particular year, Jesus is 12 years old. So he's already working as a carpenter with his daddy learning how to do carpentry. And verse 42 says when he was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Verse 43 says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. So I'm just laying some groundwork trying to teach you some stuff this morning. The, the festival was in Jerusalem. They walked there from where? And they had to walk back to where? Was no Uber. Was no Lyft. Was no taxi cab. Was no shuttle bus. Was, was no car, van, bus or truck to get in, no Greyhound, no trailways, no train stations running. They had to walk back and forth to this place. And it says in verse 33, after the celebration, after the feast of, of Passover was over, 
they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. Now, if you read that, you might think, ooh, bad parenting, bad parenting, warning. Karen would come all out and call child services on them right then. Y'all know who Karen is, don't you? Oh, Karen would be up in a, they left him behind. They left him. What kind of parent left the child and they didn't even know it? Well, listen, the kind of parent that was in a caravan of people walking a long way, by any measure, the shortest distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem was 60 miles. The longest was 120. Most experts believe it was somewhere around 75 to 100 miles, the part of Nazareth that they walked from to the part of Jerusalem they walked to. That's like saying, how far is it from uh, Clay County to downtown Jacksonville? Well, it depends on what part of Clay County you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, right, right there uh, on Blanding, just past Argyle Forest Boulevard to downtown Jacksonville, that's not nearly as far as if you go all the way out to where Deacon Ken and, and Sister Diane live, deep Middleburg, Clay County. So how far is it from Nazareth to Jerusalem? Listen, it's at least 60 miles, could be as much as 120 miles, probably somewhere around 80 miles that they had to walk. Anybody ever walk 80 miles? You have not. Nobody in this room has ever walked 80 miles. If you were in the military, we did in the Army, we did a 15-mile force march before we graduated with 75 pounds on our back. And I thought, wow, that's a long, and listen, 15 miles is a long way to walk. Uh, and we were walking with a bunch of people, um, not nearly as far as what these people from Nazareth walked, and not nearly as many. Many families would gather together. They would go in what we would now call a caravan they, they would walk together, one for safety, two because everybody helping each other get there, people giving up uh, animals if they had them for older people uh, to, to ride on, for pregnant people to ride on. Listen, there was a lot of people going. So, Karen, don't get your horns up and say that they were being bad parents. They were in a big group. They had other children. It's one thing that the Catholic Church taught me wrong. The Catholic Church teaches that Mary is a perpetual virgin, that Mary and Joseph never got busy. False. They got real busy because they had at least six kids that we know of. They had at least four sons and multiple daughters after Jesus. Jesus had younger siblings, and they just assumed what most people assume. All them kids are out there playing together. Y'all follow along. There's a lot of us going. There were hundreds of people with them, and Jesus was their oldest child. They expected him to be looking out for the younger kids. They turned around and found out it wasn't so. What am I saying? Don't call child services on Joseph and Mary, Karen. Okay. Verse 44 says, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Hey, man. They, they had, here's the funniest word in, in, in uh, the relative spectrum. What, what do you call your siblings, uh, what is it? Your uncle is your, is your what? How do, how, do, how do we get to an uncle? Your uncle is your, your mother's brother. So what is your mother's sister called? 
<laughs> That's the most jacked up word. My family can't say it right. I'm going to tell you that. In my family, the three of us, we, we, we've got uh, multiple pronunciations for that word. Because, you know, if you're just old school um, country, that's your ant. But an ant is something that crawls on the ground. Okay? And that don't even make sense for the spelling of it. Nonetheless, everybody on my mama's side and my mama says ant. Well, that's your Aunt Ellen. We got bugs in our family. Now, if you're, from, if, if you're from the more melanated side of the body of Christ, that could be T.T., that could be Auntie, that could be, are you ready for this one, Auntie. How many of y'all heard Auntie? That's my Auntie. Your Auntie? She don't drink tea? She's Auntie? I'm telling y'all, it's a weird word, but, but whether, whether it's aunt, 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 my, my son Jake, Jake says aunt. I'm like, what kind of proper, you're trying to be what? Aunt. Your aunt? Did you teach him that? Because you're his aunt. He says aunt Dina. You heard that, right? I'm like, who told you to call my sister Aunt. I don't know. I mean, I, she told me to say aunt. Some of y'all saying aunt, auntie, auntie, tt, crazy woman, whatever. But they expected the, 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 the aunties and the unks. We don't even want to get into what you call unk, unky, uncle. Whatever they expected, everybody was watching out. So I'm saying, Karen, don't get, don't, don't call DHS on on Mary and Joseph. They they assumed he was with Auntie, taking care of the little kids. But when he didn't show up, that see, here's how to show the good parents. When he didn't show up that evening, they didn't wait like Macaulay Culkin home alone. They didn't get on a plane and leave him. They only had a handful of people to keep watch of. When they realized he wasn't there, they started looking for him. See, that shows good parenting. They started looking for him among their other relatives and friends. They had with a lot of people. They just kind of figured, the boy's 12 years old. He's watching after his younger brothers and sisters. He's out there with, you know, with, 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 with Uncle Abraham and Auntie Sarah. He's out there somewhere. They start looking for him. Verse 45 says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Oh, man, these are some kind people. Because I'm going to tell you what, if one of my boys would have strayed far, if, if they're not right on my head, Seth, have I ever showed frustration when you were walking more than, more than three feet behind me? Have I ever said, catch up, boy? How am I old and broke down and you young and agile and I'm up here and you're, that wouldn't have been me. I'm just saying, I ain't having Karen call on me. But if one of my kids would have got so drifting that I had to walk all the way back to where I just came from, don't even pray for me, pray for them at that point. But when they realize that Jesus ain't here, we got to walk back 
to Jer- I already told y'all, this was probably 75, 80 miles. That's past Folkestone. If you left here right now, took 295 to 95, and drove all the way to the St. Mary's Bridge and saw Welcome to Georgia, you ain't gone far enough, keep walking. This is a long, listen, it took days. They estimate, depending on how big the crowd was, um, they, they would typically walk any, in, anywhere from 30 to 50 miles a day. Because they would walk 12 hours. If you walk three miles an hour because you got slow people walking with you, that's 36 miles in a 12-hour day. If you did four miles an hour, that's 48 miles. But this is a, a two- to five-day walk. Could you imagine just like, oh, well, we got to walk back? I'd have been taking some serious speculation. I'd have been like, nah, we got other kids. <laughs> he wanted to be with us. He should have kept up. Some of y'all are like, that's so evil. I'd walk back. I want to see you walk four days in a row, four miles an hour. You can't walk ten minutes on a treadmill four miles an hour. Oh, I'd have walked back and got my Jesus. Okay. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't have, but they sure did. They walked all the way back, an 80-mile trip back, a two- to five-day trip uh, it says in ver- verse 46, let us know, three days later, they, so they were walking fast, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers listening to them and asking questions. Let me tell y'all kids something. If you're not where mom and daddy told you to be, your best remedy, get up at the church and be praying. Get, get up to the church and, 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 and help Dina fold some paperwork or type some stuff out. Get up to the church and find somebody and talk about Jesus. And, and, and he said, then when mom and daddy kicked the door, what are you doing? Well, I'm just up here praying with the preacher. I'm not saying they're not going to beat the brakes off you, but that, that's your best shot. Jesus was in the temple, sitting among religious leaders, listening to them. And asking them questions. Now, I read, I read a lot of stuff getting ready for this message, uh, pre- preparing for this message. And one commentator that I was reading behind said, For a 12-year-old boy to be sitting with rabbis, being able to have communication, conversation, asking and answering questions w- would be as mind-blowing as a 12-year-old boy to be sitting with astrophysicists discussing uh, their expertise with them. Because if you know anything about the Jewish people and their rabbis, these people didn't buy their ordination online for $25. So just a little side note for any of y'all that want to be pastor, apostle, Bishop Bobo, you can go online and buy you an ordination. And there are preachers in this city and all over this country that bought, and listen, that, organi- that, that ordination is... It may, it may qualify you to do weddings, but it ain't recognized in the kingdom of God. These rabbis, they had serious training. They were expert in what they were talking about. They got a 12-year-old in there. Here's the thing, though. He hadn't only been getting to know God's word for 12 years. He, he, that's why I've told people for a long time, you think the Bible's hard to understand? If you fall in love with the author, it gets easier to understand. 
And Jesus has been in love with the author forever. And so he's sitting in there in the temple when they find him three days later, and he is listening to what they have to say, and he is asking questions. And in the, in the original language, this was written in, in Greek, he was discussing with them, which indicated he was talking back and forth with them, not asking them questions that he wasn't prepared for. He was asking them questions to get to see if they knew the answers that he had. Verse 47 says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, you got to know, Jesus, and, and this is not something that you can rationalize, and this is why heady people, intellectual people, sometimes struggle in God's kingdom, because they want to be able to figure everything out. They want everything to make sense. They want to be able to put everything in a nice little tidy box. And faith doesn't work that way. And God doesn't work that way. God is too big to be understood with a human brain. God's ways are beyond our ways. Many of his ways are past finding out, the scripture says. And here's one of them. Jesus was not a robot that was just set on, on switch to be God. He, and, and, and he was, but he was 100% God all the time, but he was also 100% human all the time. Well, how can that be? It just is. And that's why I say when you can't figure it out, you got to do what? Faith. You just have to believe. The Bible says he was fully God. The scripture tells us that the fullness of the Godhead was bodily in him. He was God the whole time. He could hear what people were thinking. He could see people in different parts of the world where he wasn't looking at them with his eyes. He was God all the time, but he was human all the time. And in his deity, he already knew everything about God and God's word. That's why he was able to amaze these grown experts in the word of God. But in his humanity, he had to spend time, just like we do, reading the Bible and praying to the Father. Are you following me? They were amazed at his understanding. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you get around Jesus for real, you'll be amazed by him. The biggest problem with the average Christian, the reason why most of us don't follow God as much as we should, the reason why most of us aren't as serious about being the men and women that God has called us to be, is because we are not amazed by him now the hymn writer gave us gave gave us a great clue when he said i stand amazed in the what in four people been in church more than five years i stand amazed in the presence of jesus the nazarene if you ever get in his presence you're going to be amazed by him listen if you're not amazed by jesus if, if, you, if you still don't get uh, emotional about the way God loves you, if you're still not moved in your heart and humbled by the fact that he saved you when he didn't have to, if your heart is cold on the cross and you can think about him suffering and bleeding and dying for you and not be moved on the inside, then you are not as close to him as you need to be. They were in his presence and they were amazed by him. All right, now hear me. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to ask you the question like we're in Wednesday night Bible study. They were in his presence, and they were amazed by him. Somebody tell me, why aren't most people amazed by him right now? Not in his presence. Don't hang out with him. They, they heard him. All who heard him were amazed. 
Somebody smart that has comprehension that just read that along with me. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Based on this one scripture alone, somebody tell me, why aren't most people today amazed at his understanding and his answers? Because they don't hear him. They don't hear him. They're not spending time with him, and they're not listening to him. I promise you this on the authority of the word of God and my own life cosigns on it, and so does the life of every real Christian in the room. If you hang out with him and you listen to him, you will become amazed by him. You will become amazed by him, and that amazement will draw you closer to him. That amazement will cause you to want to be with him and know him better. We have replaced the amazement with the Son of God with another word that starts with A-M, and that word is amusement. See, America is caught up with amusement. I was in uh, Las Vegas last week on a business trip. Took my son out there with me, and that town has got a lot of amusement. They got entertainers everywhere. We had the Canelo fight across the street from us. We had David Copperfield on one corner in a hotel. We had Canelo Alvarez in a different hotel. I mean, just amusement everywhere. And I want you to consider the word amuse. Muse means to think. Ah means not to. So what's, to, what's amuse mean? Not to think. Amusement. America wants to amuse us. It's filtered down into churches that want to amuse us. They, they want to entertain. Entertainers amuse us. Entertain. That's why people sit in front of a TV. Uh, the older generation, the, 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 the generation older than me, that uh, people that study generations called the great generation, the great society of Americans, they used to call the television the boob tube. A boob was a mindless idiot in, 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 that, in that day and age. Of speaking, and, and they would tell people, that's just rotting your brain out. You're just sitting there turning into a zombie in front of that box. And people, people still today, man walks in after a long day at work, most men sit down in their chair, click. I just want to un what? Just want to unwind. What are you saying? You want to be amused. You want to shut your mind off and stop thinking. That in and of itself is not a horrible thing from a psychological perspective to shut your mind off for a limited period of time. But to sit in front of a television for hours and hours and hours to be amused causes us not to think. And I'm going to just ask you, I'm going to see if anybody's really tracking today. Why do you think the devil wants to keep us amused now I gave you another word it's on the screen that starts with the first two letters of, the, of that word he wants to amuse us so we won't be what amazed by what we hear from Jesus and I promise you if you'd stop amusing yourself so much with television with radio 
with, with, with hobbies, if you'd stop amusing yourself. So I'm not saying that television in and of itself is bad. I like what one old preacher said. One old preacher came out in the 80s that I used to listen to every day on the radio, and he said, I have to repent to the congregation. I've been telling y'all televisions are worthless, and there's no good use for a television. He said, I finally found a good use for a television. I, I had an old one in the garage. I set it out in the yard, and I chopped it up with an axe and got some good exercise from it. I'm not that far gone to think the only good use out of a television is chopping it up with an axe to get exercise. But what I am saying is if you, if you are amused by your television more than you're amazed by what you're hearing from God, you're not listening to God enough. Video games, social media, reading books. I, I've got this one friend of mine uh, that reads a lot, and he's always referencing me books. And I've told him for years, I don't read fiction. I just don't. I'm not going to read Harlequin Romance. I don't care if the sun is glistening off Fabio's muscles as she watched him from the distance on the porch. I read books about God. I don't have time I, I don't have time to, ooh, there's a good book out about, I don't have time to read about Tim Tebow. I'm not mad at you if you did. If you want to read about Fabio, if you want to read about Tebow, Bobo, and Roro, just make sure you spend more time being amazed by what you hear God say than you are being amused by the books you read. Does anybody follow me? Oh, they were amazed when they heard him. We need to hear him more so we can be amazed by him because the more you're amazed by him, the more you're going to want to know him. I told you all a couple of weeks ago, getting to know people is, 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 is funny to me because some people, you get to know them and you, you end up thinking, I really don't want to know them now. Anybody ever been there? You, you think, oh, this, this, this would be a nice person. You, but you get to know them, you're like, nah. Then, 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 you, then you just, you know, change your phone number, block them, delete them, all that stuff. And then there's other people where you, you get to know them and you're like, this is the coolest person I've ever met. I really want to know them more. Let me promise you this about God. If you ever get to know him a little bit, you're going to be amazed by him, and you're going to want to know him more. And you need to start being amazed by him today. You need to start. The way you get amazed by him is you get around him and listen to what he has to say. In verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. <laughs> they come looking for their 12-year-old. Now, remember, they know that Jesus is the Messiah. They know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, at least Mary knows. Y'all know Joseph had to have some doubts. Men, you know, if y'all if y'all haven't uh, had that relationship and she says, I'm pregnant, but I promise you it's from God, Joseph the carpenter might be the man of strongest faith in the whole Bible to believe some stuff like that. But they knew. Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was the virgin-born son of God. They knew that he was going to grow up and be the Messiah. They knew that he was going to give his life for God's people. But in the course of raising this child in the natural, he was still Mary's baby boy. He was still, in Joseph's mind and everybody in the community's mind, Joseph's little son. 
That's his little tag along. He's teaching him how to be a carpenter. He's teaching him how to do woodworking. And so when it says his parents didn't know what to think, they think, what is this boy doing? See, they lost sight of who he really was because how they had allowed themselves to start to see him. I don't have time to explain all this to you, but I want you to catch this quickly. We get these images of who we think God is and what God should be, and we lose sight of who he really is. We, we want God to be what we want him to be. There's a whole uh, group of people that call themselves Christians that really just want God to be their genie in a bottle. Pull the lever. God going to come through. Pull that lever. Believe it and receive. Supernatural debt reduction. You think you're just going to rub this bottle to genie called Jesus is going to pop off and pay out your mortgage? It don't work that way. Well, I had, I had supernatural debt reduction. I, get, I gave the, the, the lady at McDonald's $5, and she gave me change for 100 Your integrity was tested, and you failed because you're a thief if you kept that. Let me keep moving. They, they, they lost sight of the big picture of who he was because they got caught up in day-to-day living. The Bible says we have these stores for our example. Do you know you can get caught up in day-to-day living and forget who Jesus really is? Because here's what most people would say if truth be told. Well, yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's my Savior. Oh, yeah, he's my Lord. Oh, yeah, he's the most important thing in my life. Oh, he's God to me. There's nobody greater than him. But do you realize you are guilty of the same thing that Mary and Joseph are guilty of? You get caught up in your day-to-day lifestyle and you forget who he really is because you've made up in your mind who he is to you? They said, son, why have, listen, this is so, I ain't got time to preach all this, but it's so good. Why have you done this to us? <laughs> victim mentality. Stop being a victim about everything. Stop, stop acting like everything's against you. It ain't about you. And they didn't realize it wasn't about them. They're like, but they were the ones that had to do all that walking, though. They had been put out. But what they didn't see is the bigger picture. And we get so caught up in our own personal pain and suffering that we lose sight of the bigger picture. Their feet, I'm going to tell you this for sure. You walk to Folkestone, Georgia, and back in the next five days, your feet are going to be hurting. And, and you, you're going to be tired and done out. They, they were put out. And, and they let their personal pain and suffering cause them to lose sight of the bigger picture. And, and, and Mary says, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Now, see, in my mind, I wish he had just flexed on them a little bit. I, I wish he had just flexed on them and, and said, look here, woman, mind, mind who you're talking to. Look at Joseph and say, get that bass out your voice when you're talking to me. You forget who I am. But he didn't, that we know of. But she goes off, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Now, there is something I'm going to point out, and it's just too much in here. Here's the great thing. If you ever have to study for, for it, the, all seminaries say it takes at least 30 to 60 hours to develop one good message. If you ever put in 30 hours of study for one message, you're going to realize that you, you get a ton of information that you don't have time to put out. But I'm going to tell you, I've just been, just, I've just been digging on this uh, since I started preparing for this message where she said, your father and I. I wonder if his eyes got big. 
See, he's in his father's house while she's talking to him. He knows who his father is, and he knows that they know who his father is. But they got so caught up in their personal pain and suffering in the moment that they forgot who they were talking to. And I promise you this happens to us every day because if we remembered that he's with us everywhere we go, hears everything we say, watches everything we do, and promised that there's a judgment seat of Christ that we have to give an account for the way we lived our lives, we'd watch what comes out of our mouth and we'd watch how we live a whole lot better. They took their eyes off and she's in here scolding Jesus saying, your father and I have been frantic, searching you for you everywhere. Now that word father, that's got a little F on it. Let's look at verse 49. He said, why'd you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Capital F. You and my father been frantic, but I've been in my father's house the whole time. There's a bigger picture. And if you don't choose to focus on that hard every day, Focus and refocus and focus and refocus and keep remembering who God is and remembering the bigger picture. You're going to lose sight of who Jesus is and who your father really is. He said, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? It says a little bit different in another version. You might have heard it this way more often. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Now, that sounds like two different things. And these translations choose to, some say, I must be about my father's business, and some say I must be in my father's house. But the original language in the Greek has a duality of meaning. It, had, it, it chose phraseology that meant these two things at the same time. What he was saying to them literally was this dual concept is I got to be in his house doing his business. What he was saying, this dual concept, is I have to be in the presence of my father doing what he does. Because as a 12-year-old boy, I told you at the beginning of the message, a 12-year-old boy had to be learning his father's trade. Okay? This was Jewish law. A 12-year-old boy had to be hanging out with daddy, learning how to do what daddy does. And this is what Jesus is. They knew he was 12 years old. They knew who his father was. They knew they had been making him be in the carpenter shop, learning how to be a carpenter from Joseph. He's like, how are you not shocked? Y'all keep all these, y'all walked us here every year. Y'all keep all these festivals. Y'all know all these customs. Y'all know all these laws. You know that a 12-year-old boy has got to hang out with his daddy and learn daddy's business. And that's why it says it two different ways in these different translations because some translations chose to focus on the being my father's house. Some chose to focus on doing my father's business when the Greek phraseology says that I must be around my father doing what he does. The only way for a little boy to learn how to change all for his daddy is for, from his daddy is for daddy to hang out with him and teach him. The only way for Jesus to learn how to be a carpenter from Joseph was to hang out with Joseph and let Joseph teach him. And the only way for Jesus to learn how to do his father's business was to hang out with him and do what he does. And listen, finishing with this, this is what we need. We have these stories for our example. This is what we need. We say we're following Jesus. We say we're, that we're Christians. What did Jesus do? 
He spent time with his father, and he did what his daddy did. He spent time with his father, and he did what his daddy did. I'm going to give you two words for it to summarize. Intimacy and action. He believed in intimacy and action. He had to spend time with his father so he could understand who his father was and how he operated. And he had to do the actions of his father so he could be about his father's business. Now, if Jesus needed intimacy with the father and action in his life doing what his father did, guess what two words we need to apply to our life? Don't make me stay here for another hour. Intimacy and action. Now, I want you to figure out in your own life, how much time are you spending with your father, your heavenly father? How much time, how intimate are you around him? Are you in his, I must be in my father's house. I must be in his presence. I got to be around him so I can know him. I got to have intimacy with him. And I got to see how he does his business so I can do his business because I'm his son. And it's my job to do what my daddy does. And I came here today to tell you it's your job to do what your heavenly father does. But you need intimacy with him. If you spend more time with your television than you do with God, you're not going to be able to be a real Christian. You might get to heaven, but you're not going to be able to be in, in daddy's business. You're not going to know enough. If you spend more time on your phone, if you spend more time in social media, if you spend more time doing anything, you're not, you're not focused on the right thing. Jesus like, why are y'all tripping? Y'all the one that told me from, from, from the beginning that I'm not even y'all's real child. That, that mom was a virgin and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and I'm the Messiah. Y'all know Jehovah is my father. I'm 12 years old. I got to be learning his business. Listen, grow up. Start hanging out with the Father, learning His business. You need to be in His house that's around Him. Not just, the, listen, this, this, this is just a gathering place. You've heard the, the, the cliche, the church isn't the bricks and the steeple, the church is the people. But you got to get around God. you got to be where your Father is. And you got to be doing His business. Intimacy and action. Jesus went on. 17 chapters later in Luke 19.10 to tell us what his mission was, to tell us why he came to the earth. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the family business. That's the Father's business. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus into the earth to accomplish family business. We're Christians. We're supposed to live like Christ. I'm, I'm going to set you up, and you should know the answer. God put Jesus in this earth to do family business. Why do you think God put you on this earth? If you call yourself a Christian, you are here to do family business. And you got to have an intimate relationship with the Father because you need to know how he handles his business. You need to hang out with God. You need to get around God and spend personal time with God. Jesus was like, I don't even know why y'all are even flip, flipped out tripping. Frantic, you say. 
You ought to know. You're the one that told me who I am. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. That's family business. Jesus told his followers when he was leaving this planet, after the cross, after his resurrection, last two verses I'm going to read, Matthew 18, 19, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's called the Great Commission. Listen, commission, co-mission. It's a mission we do with him. It's a co-mission. He's involved, we're involved. He said prior to verse 19 that all authority has been given to him. This is his mission, and it's our co-mission. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm out of time. I can't teach you all this in one setting. But where it says go and make disciples, the original language says as you go. As you go about your business. As you go to your job. As you go to your family and friends. As you travel in this earth. As you stop at the gate station and get a 79-cent polar pop, which is the greatest value in America today. Tell somebody about Jesus. Make disciples. Verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. So many churches, they got mission statements printed on their walls. Plaques in the foyer. Vision statement. Purpose statement. Chick-fil-A's got all that. Every business has got all that. Well, what? I have people ask me, I passed, I go to leadership conferences. Well, what's, what's, the, what's the vision of your church, Pastor Becker? So, well, A, I don't own a church. It's not Scott Becker's church. This church belongs to Jesus. He said, I will build my church. And the vision is not different from church to church. The mission is not different from church to church. Jesus set all that forth in his teaching. Here it is. This is the whole thing. The reason you're here, the reason why God hadn't taken you home yet, if you've been saved. If you're here and you're lost, you're still here so God will save you. If you're here and you're already saved, the reason you're still alive is because God wants you to do two things taught in these two verses. Reach and teach. Say it with me. We'll get out of here. Reach and teach. You need to reach everybody with the life-saving, soul-saving, life-changing gospel truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only way to have eternal life. That's how we reach them. And then we teach them how to obey everything that God said. We're here to reach and teach. That's the family business. We are in our Father's business. We are following Jesus who showed us what he came to do. He spent his whole ministry reaching and teaching. Reaching people for the Father's kingdom and teaching them about God. That's our family business. But before you can reach others, you got to be reached yourself. You got to get in the family. And this is like they say in the old church. You, you, can't, you can't join in. You got to be born in. You can't join in to salvation. You can join a church by signing your name on a line. But you won't get to heaven by signing your name on a line. The Bible says you must be born again or you can't see heaven. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to get saved. 
I'm not going to ask you to walk this aisle today. If you want to get saved, come see me after church. If you know enough about how to ask God to save you, you can ask God to save you right now. You don't even have to wait till we take the offering. If you're not saved, get saved. So you can go reach other people with the truth of God. It's the greatest mission you'll ever have. It's the co-mission. It's the family business. It's why we're here. We're here to do our Father's business. We're here to live the life to imitate Christ. That's what Christian means, Christ imitator. You got to reach, you got to teach, but you got to be reached first and you got to learn first. The Bible says you have to have the ear of the learned before you can have the tongue of the learned. You can't teach people what you don't know. That's why we always need to be learning about God. I want you to be a Christian. If you're here and you're not saved, the way to be a Christian is to get saved. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You've got to ask God to save you and you've got to be serious. The Bible says it'll only work if you search for him with your whole heart. If you're here and you are saved, you need to get busy with the family business. You need to start reaching people that you come into contact with the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Good news that they don't have to die and go to hell they can know God and have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're saved, I want you to start being a real Christian, a real Christ imitator. What did he focus on? Spending intimate time with his father. Intimacy and action. How intimate have you been with God lately? Well, you know, I've been busy. Uh, Time out for those weak excuses. We need to get serious about God tomorrow's not promised. We need to tell everybody we know about God's plan for salvation. How intimate have you been with God lately? You can make a change. You can do better. God said you can come boldly to His throne of grace. You can receive mercy. You can get help in your time of need. How much action have you been doing? How much work have you been putting into the family business lately? You reaching anybody? You teaching anybody? You even trying? I want you to get serious about being a Christian. I want you to get serious about imitating Christ. The way we do that, we're always about our Father's business. We're always in His presence. And we're always doing the family business, which is reaching and teaching. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Help us, God, to be good children who work in our Father's business. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside us, God. I pray for every lost person in this room that you would let them know that they are truly lost and they need salvation. And I pray you draw them to salvation by your spirit. God, for every Christian in the room, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for our lack of intimacy and our lack of action. And I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and empower us to go and be all that you've called us to be and to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.